Hello, welcome to This Girl Cam, where we speak to wonderful women doing fabulous things in pharma. I'm Liv Nixon, and in addition to my role as a podcast host, I help companies get the best out of their Salesforce CRM systems, working closely with an organisation to ensure the system is working for them rather than creating additional work. Today, I'm talking to Barty Ray. Barty is a true trailblazer in the world of healthcare, data analytics and digital transformation. With over 25 years of experience, she's served in prominent roles with renowned companies such as Novartis, Bayer, Deloitte and CVS Health. During our chat, Barty shares with me the mindset and strategies that essentially propelled her to the front of the healthcare and data analytics world. She emphasises the significance of taking chances, not letting self-doubt paralyse you and voicing your career aspirations. So much value here. So let's get going. Hi, Barty. Welcome to This Girl Cam. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you for making the time to come on. Absolutely. My pleasure. Okay, so to get us going, could you possibly start by sharing a little bit about your journey in the pharma and biotech industry today and maybe what inspired you to begin your career in, in this world? Yeah, I... Uh, when I was studying in college and my grad school, I wanted to do public sector and I just had this desire to do something that had a huge public good or public service aspect to that. And I studied public policy. And when I came to the U.S., I ended up joining consulting for eight years and I did a lot of public sector consulting. So there I worked with pretty much every state government agency in the U.S., doing these very large transformative programs and not just focused on healthcare. It was very broad and wide, which is what I was looking for out of school. You know, just the best learning yeah. experience you can find. Consulting is great when you're coming out of uh, school. And I really enjoyed my work with health and human services, you know, Medicaid. Um, and I had a pivotal point after, with eight years of consulting to see whether I continue down that track or I join the industry. And uh, again, being totally honest, um, it was the 100% travel for eight years that probably made the decision when I you know, wanted to start a family, have kids. And then I said, all right, if there's an industry that I would join that is closest to that public, uh, you know, service or good, it was healthcare. And I happened to get um, some opportunities in pharma. Again, starting with the internal consulting group at one of the pharma companies, and that's how I got into pharma. So tell me more about you personally, Barty. You mentioned there the importance of family to you. Tell me a little bit about your family and where you live now and what you do outside work. Yes, so I never imagined that I would be a Jersey, New Jersey resident for over 20 years. Uh, when I was growing up, we traveled every few years. My dad was, you know, getting transferred. So I changed schools three every three years or so, not just schools, wow. but cities. Um, and New Jersey is the place that I've lived the longest in. Um, again, right? These things happen. You don't really plan it. Um, and uh, I ended up staying here after my grad school, you know, worked. And then I met my husband and had uh, three kids. Oh, fabulous. How old are your kids? 11. No, now they're even numbers. So 12, 14, oh, and 16. Nice. Yeah. They all 
Summer birthdays, so they turn odd and even. You know, well, the same that's year. really helpful. It's considerate that <laughs> they do it all at the same time. So tell me a bit about your journey with data. You were listed as Data IQ's top 10 most influential people in data. Tell me a little bit about that and your thoughts around data and the impact on patient outcomes. Yeah, so my um, involvement in data happened by pure accident. Um, And even now, I wouldn't say I'm a data professional. I would say I'm a business professional that gets the language of data and digital. Um, And so I... Honestly, got involved because we had a ton of data issues and we were trying to implement a uh, change in a little bit of our commercial model and strategy and realized that we don't have the right um, customer master data to be able to look at our accounts in a certain way and, you know, roll up how our customers roll up. And um, so I got involved with that team trying to figure out the issues and, um, you know, took on that MDM job having really zero experience in data this was about nine years ago maybe um and, and then you know and i like to get my hands dirty right and i think from my consulting days you learn how to take any problem and structure it think bigger broader right what are the people process and technology implications of this issue um, and then create a vision and then get it done and solve it. And I think those skills probably helped me in also learning about data and working with cross-functional teams and really figuring out the root cause, um, which was not in, by the way, that was the, probably the hardest, um, hardest and most thankless job I would say I had because it was so important, but so underappreciated and underrecognized by the business right around us and I'm again coming from commercial operations did not realize the importance of um, master data Uh, especially if you want to be customer centric right you got to get your customer data straight so um, happened by your accident and then that led to a more strategic data officer role and then bigger broader portfolios that had commercial operations but also some element of data and analytics and that that's really how it got involved and then what about getting listed as this amongst the top 10 for data iq was there something in particular that brought that about talk to me about that um i don't know i've heard from them and that they would like to nominate me to do that i think it was a lot of transformation work that i would say collectively our team did in the last five, six years um, in the pharma industry. Also, you know, I like to contribute to events and dialogues because particularly in the data area, at least eight, maybe even less now, right? Six to eight years ago in healthcare is when I think these roles started being seen as more strategic because the initial tendency was, oh, you know, we need a data guru, right? Come and fix all the systems. And yes, right, you probably started with a more technical person in that role. And then you spend all this money, you got your data platform, you got, you know, went to the cloud, right? You got all the pipes uh, automated, the business rules sorted out. And then the realization dawned on, oh my gosh, I've spent all this money on fixing data, but where is the ROI and where's the business impact? And so I think these roles have started becoming more strategic, more business oriented, more impact oriented. 
Um, and it all depends on where your company is, where you're starting, right? That right mix of functional technical um, is key in, in these roles. So I have done a bit of work, I think, to study how the industry is thinking about the success of these types of roles, because you probably know that the tenure for data analytics leaders is very yeah. short. Um, and I'll sum it down to a couple of things, like lofty um, expectations on ROI and impact, operating model not set up really well. Um, cultural change is huge, right? It doesn't just require your plumbing to be fixed. It requires the business leaders to embrace it and act like they believe in data-driven decision makings and model that behavior. And so it's a um, tough change to drive. So let's just dig into that bit about the culture change. From your experience, have you seen that done well? Culture change is so personal and there, it's in pockets and a few drops in the end make up the ocean, right? Um, and I don't know if it's ever complete. So I, I have definitely seen pockets and areas and time periods where we're moving in the right direction. Let's call it that. Uh, and then we also obviously have the tendency of just disrupting a good thing if it's going right. So we have this tendency in, uh, in business to drive transformation. Um, and you have to, right? If you're not keeping up with the times, you have to change. But change too often, um, especially when you're, you know, disrupting something that's on a path is not good either. So I think knowing what needs incremental improvement, what needs radical change, and what you need to just pivot a little bit, right, is really important. So I've seen, you know, in all these time periods, right, definitely examples of where it's done well. And I think where it's done well is where you are practically, when you're making decisions in whatever function it is, finance, marketing, sales, right, you are using the insight, the analytics output, as part of your daily job and business process. And the leaders model it. You know, when you're having meetings, you're looking at data and reports and KPIs. You're discussing decisions based on that. And then slowly the organization starts to follow whatever process you set for them, right? So when it is led from the top, um, I think that change tends to stick if we are all modeling the behavior for an extended period of time. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So we're at quite an exciting time at the moment in the world of digital and technology and AI. What are your thoughts about how the next five years will look? How will the industry start to shape? So I was, this is my view on all digital health, you know, data, automation, all these topics, yes. AI in healthcare, right? I will say a couple of things. One, oftentimes, if we are looking for a problem, you know, looking for a solution for the technology, it's the wrong approach, right? We get enamored sometimes with technology solutions and we start looking for the problems we can apply them to versus backwards. Uh, so I think always starting with the problem and then what technology can help solve that or what solution or what vendor or what product or what software, right? There are like two, two, three thousand plus vendors in this space, loosely called data, digital and tech. Um, 
so that that's sort of one inside. Now, what I'll say is, I think the innovation is fantastic. The fact that we have, and I have the utmost re- respect for um, entrepreneurs. It's not easy. I've had one role now being an intrapreneur in a huge company. Not easy outside, not easy yeah. inside, right? To really start, do a startup, something from scratch. Um, so the amount of innovation there and people trying to disrupt healthcare is amazing. I do think, though, we have too many solutions that are not connected. So everybody's taking a slice of the huge problems that we have in healthcare and trying to come up with a solution. My wish, right, for the next five years, and I don't know how to do this, is if we took a little bit of a more interoperable approach, we, we took a broader lens at solving these as opposed to so many point solutions solving one thing but honestly depending on now where the funding is coming from right they have they are under pressure to make money and get ROI as well so it's the whole startup community and the funding and the investment is um, somehow we have to balance connecting the dots in healthcare so there can be broader solutions as opposed to point solutions and smaller vendors trying to attack one piece and that's a huge task the second thing is truly disrupting healthcare, right? Whether it's um, selling drugs for lower cost or getting rid of some of the intermediaries or, you know, uh, changing care delivery um, from fee-for-service to VBC, whatever these huge disruptions in healthcare are. What I will say is, coming back to your digital topic, is that we all know that we need to digitize healthcare, right? But not all aspects are ready to be digitized either. It's, it's just a very complex. I mean, you have a lot of older patients uh, who don't want to be working on an app, right? They want that person to touch. So this is an industry where you have to understand where digitization makes sense, where you need a personal touch. But on the whole, yes, I mean, the whole experience is just uh, in the U.S. is extremely complex and very manual and very inefficient. Um, and so my hope there in the next five, maybe 10 15 years is that we really move the industry to a more efficient, less complex, and more patient experience-oriented approach. Yeah. yeah. It's an exciting time, isn't it? But yeah, it would be interesting to see what we look like. So let's move away from the data side now. What are the things that really motivate you outside of work? So I've had this nagging feeling for years and years about doing a lot of volunteer community service outside work. I mean, I studied public policy because I thought I wanted to make that my career. It didn't happen that way. But there are always times um, where I think about how can I volunteer more. So I do a bit of that outside work, whether it's donating some food, right, to a, like an area close by in Jersey where there are a lot of people looking for supplies, snacks, food. I also volunteered with an organization around foster children. So, um, I, you know, there are times in my life when you get busy with, with the work and kids and life where I'm not volunteering and suddenly I have these periods where I can't sleep. Right. And I'm like, and I, when I reflect, it's that aspect that's missing in my life, which is service, community service. So that's just something that speaks to me a lot. At some point, I hope I can do something major and big in that space. I don't know what, but um, I've, I've had that period 
Um, you know, especially I, re I remember once where I had three kids, right? They're two years apart. So six, seven, eight years, you can imagine, you know, all of them yeah. under five <laughs> and yeah. six. Great period. And I, it was great. Uh, it was amazing, right? Work was going well. I had these amazing kids and started a family. But I remembered really not being able to sleep for two or three days. And I'm like, what is going on? And I discovered it's like I'm not volunteering at all. I haven't volunteered a day in wow. eight years. I like to do that. That's one. And second, on a lighter note, I like to dance. Oh, and we do some performances on a regular basis with uh, with this group that oh, I dance happiness. With. What kind of dancing? Uh, Indian. Bollywood oh, amazing. Dancing. That's so fascinating, though, that you obviously get so much from the volunteering that you identify that you haven't slept and it's it's related to that need to, to give something back. There was a reason, you know, that I studied public policy and I... I thought I was going to make a career out of it, but I ended up going in a different direction. So I don't know. Yeah. It's always been pretty strong. Yeah. You know, even through college, I, it just gives me a lot of fulfillment. And so. do you, thinking of that service focus, do you offer mentoring or sponsorship with anyone else that you work with? Do you tend to gel that into what you do? I, I mean, I do. Again, I wish I did more of it. It's always a function of, you know, what's going on at work and outside. Um, I do on and off, but probably not enough, I would say. So there are these formal mentoring programs that I've done, either at work or through organizations like BHBA, etc. But I think what I find is like these informal connections where, and at some point in your career, right, that pivot happens, where you realize that, okay, you're now that it has to flip, right? You have to, the, you have to take different sides now. Because most of the, the folks calling you are looking yeah. for advice um, and there's something on their mind. And I think at some point when I woke up as a leader, right, and really started self-reflecting on what kind of leader do I want to be. And I looked at what I did. I looked at my, honestly, I was blessed to have fantastic bosses through my career. And yeah. we should talk about that as well. Uh, all male, by the way, really? I haven't had a single female boss yet. But um, really, really amazing bosses. When I reflect back, you know, I've learned the good and the bad, right, from people that I've looked at and my own um, journey of, uh, you know, maybe not starting out as a great leader and then uh, reflected and tried to improve and, you know, focus on things. And I think what we have going for us as women is we are naturally emotional and empathetic. And I found that people, you know, people get a different, taste of leadership when you're working with somebody who has a little bit more of that emotional touch and they take a personal interest in the development of people and you know sometimes you do a lot of mentoring and coaching and hand-holding all, all in informal ways to um, to help develop your team and so I, you know I, I enjoy that. When you reflect back on your career, and we all lose touch with people that have been a big part of our lives and you, you lose touch with them. That's just part of life. But do you ever think of one person in particular that you perhaps lost touch with that you wish you could, or if you did bump into them in the street, you wish you could say thank you, you know, that they had an impact on you that maybe they don't realize the impact that they have? I've had a few. I don't know if there's one person. I mean, the one person that, has had a huge impact on my life is my dad. That's the one person, the way he was and how he, um, so he retired as the chairman of one of the largest public sector banks in India, right? 
And I didn't know um, how accomplished he was professionally. I guess I used to see it because, you know, sometimes we used to go on these uh, visits with him to local regional banks. Um, and they used to, in India, right, they stand there with a garland and thousands of people, right? So, I mean, to me, I was like, okay, whatever, right? <laughs> Just like putting a garland on my dad or that, you know, I'd be sitting in the audience and listening to his speeches. But then when you grow up, you realize um, his prof professional accomplishments, but that's not what stuck out. I think there are two things now that I remember. One, and, you know, talking about service and why I have this thing of, okay, how can I help? Is I have seen him help people his whole life. Uh, and I've seen people come home or call him for advice almost on a daily basis. It was annoying. The phone used to ring off the hook in the morning when you try to sleep. So um, so that's something I've seen. And my mom as well, right, did a lot of volunteer work. And I think I've seen that growing up um, in giving back to the community. And the second thing was how he was as a person. You know, he was just loved from CEOs to, you know, people really high up to people at, at all levels. And you can't emulate that. That's a personality trait. You, yeah. There's no way. <laughs> um, that's the one person who's had the biggest impact on my life. Bringing it back to leaders in, in a work environment, those that had an impact yeah. on you that perhaps they didn't know they had. Absolutely. So I'll tell you what I learned yeah. from each one, right? Um, and I didn't have that many. Um, so in my consulting days, I had a couple of bosses. I mean, they were partners, right? You were a consultant, senior consultant, growing up the ranks. I had maybe three, three or four people, actually, three, to, three or four different partners who I learned a lot from. I mean, the, fir you know, the first one was just um, basic skills as a consultant, right? Being able to communicate, being able to write, being able to do... PowerPoint, being able to write proposals. I think I was horrible at <laughs> writing, <laughs> writing proposals. You know, this one boss took me aside and said, oh my gosh, like you need to, you know, how you write in business is very different from how you write a college right, essay, yeah. right? Well, I got some training in business communication, which was super helpful. And then in, in consulting, I just learned from very quickly as a, you start managing big teams, particularly I was doing these large public sector engagements that had teams of 80, 100, right? So very soon I started managing 20 people, 40 people, 50 people. And I had to learn a lot on how to manage. The one thing I remember is how I was always very work oriented and not so empathetic on work-life balance in those days. Let's say that way. I mean, nobody in consulting had work-life balance and that's what I saw around me. And so as a leader, I did not give my team work-life balance either, right? And I'm like, what do you mean you needed a, a take a break for an hour and go to the gym? Like, what do you mean? You have have, we have a deadline. You have to work. So I, at some point, I didn't learn that in consulting, but after consulting I, and after kid, honestly, I learned the importance of like there's life and there's work and they have to be very symbiotic. Um, so those were my consulting bosses. Um, and, you know, the common thread was the trust for some reason. They stretched me. They gave me assignments and roles beyond what I was probably ready for. But that's when you grow. The common thread was quick trust with all my bosses. Um, in pharma, um, the, I mean... The one boss, and he know, knows who he is, the boss I had when I was having my uh, three kids, 
Um, so imagine every for six years, I had to go to him and tell him, you know, one year pregnant, second year nursing, pregnant nursing, pregnant nursing. Uh, so for six years, he saw me with childcare stories. And I remember uh, when we were having the third child, which was by the way, a surprise. I was thinking about, I was talking to my husband and I'm like, I don't even know how to tell my boss I'm pregnant again. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, amazing. I mean, so, so much trust. I obviously needed the flexibility to be able to nurse from home when I wanted, right? Not come in some days. So many doctor's appointments. Um, I don't think I felt once that I was, the clock was being watched or you know, yeah. these subtle, I don't think I were even one statement that he may have made in those six, seven years wow. that made me feel. Because you then you want to contribute, right? When you have a boss like that and you have all this stuff going on, you want yeah. to give your best at work. So um, it made me also give it my best, as best as I could during those days. So that was an amazing, amazing boss. And the only way I could actually have a good flourishing career and have those three kids in the span of six years. Um, and then I got a couple of other bosses, two more bosses, actually, not that many, who, again, I learned, you know, from one, I learned just the nicest person, right? Uh, such a warm person, a little bit of micromanager in the beginning, but then, you know, developed self-awareness on his own and gave us the trust, the freedom to fly. And then, you know, my other boss there just the structure, structured, so organized, such how you run a team, the management um, structures to put in place. So people are moving in the right direction. You know, you've got this vision, but what are those uh, processes you put in place so that you have a handle on what the team's working on? And I learned that from him. And then I had a couple of bosses again, um, you know, when I changed pharma companies, those two bosses really elevated my leadership because I had such a huge span, huge team at that point. I think I learned how to navigate a little bit better, right? I don't enjoy the politics at work. And, you know, there's always this point in your life where you've grown because you just do good work. And then there's all this alignments and, you know, this, uh, which I really don't enjoy. I'm like pretty, pretty straight. And if there's an issue, you know, yeah. say it uh, to the person directly and go around the um, So those were good. And then, you know, some... The startup, right, was actually it innovative, how to be innovative, but then how also to set up a solid structure and operating model for teams to succeed, especially if you're doing a start within a big company. So I've taken yeah. a little bit from everybody. And you've never had a bad boss. I mean, you know, to me, it's your perspective, right? So have I had perfect bosses? No, we're all human beings, but I don't think I've really had a nasty experience with anybody and if there were things I didn't like about somebody I told them that listen you're doing this and it's driving me nuts yeah. you know are you all I was just nicely direct I would say um, I think that's been a skill I realized I have that uh, you know if if I don't like something or if I need to push an agenda I can do that in a nice way and not offend people and so I had these nice conversations even with difficult bosses or situations right um but fortunately i have and i've been in toxic 
environments, I will say, but I don't know if it's always yeah. one person. It's just, uh, I mean, my lens is to have a little bit of a balcony view to these kinds of things and not attribute it to one person, but look at it like I'm watching a movie and say, okay, what's happening? What are the dynamics? If something is not good or toxic or some behavior, what is it? What's causing it? What can I do about it? And so I have a very practical analytical approach to um, yeah, to conflict. It's a really good skill to have being able to have those difficult conversations with people in a nice way. I mean, it's um, it's work in progress, right? Have I mastered it? No. I mean, there are times where it's really difficult, I think, to set a, a a complex or a conflict situation right. You don't succeed every time. But honestly, I wouldn't change who I am because of the situation, right? So if I'm direct, I don't beat around the bush. I don't go around people. I don't play games, right? I don't have agendas on the side. Just because I am in a situation where there are agendas on the side, I don't change my behavior. I operate the same way. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. But hey, you know, that's who I am. And I'm not going to... Oh, uh, I, I just cannot play the yeah. politics. I can't. You I come across as someone, you are, obviously, you've had an amazing career. You are um, extremely accomplished, obviously confident in what you do. You come across as someone who would never suffer any feelings of insecurity, self-doubt in your career. Do you? Listen, we're all humans, right? So, um. I will say that insecurity is not a dominant thought in my being. Usually, when there's something I've... And by the way, every role I've had, I had never done it before. Yeah. If you look at my career, it's not like I, I had done... You know, when I joined consulting, I think the first few months, uh, one of the partners said, I don't know if you're cut out to be a consultant. Right? Because I came straight from India, never studied, never worked here, right? Straight to grad school and started working in a new country. Um, the language communication was different. And how, you know, I had this in India, right? It's like you treat elders with a lot of reverence, right? And I had all these partners around me and I was a little timid, right? Uh, but I was always, I don't know, I had this weird mix of being very, I was never shy to talk. But I knew I, I didn't have the skills. I had to learn a lot, right? So I also knew that. But what I don't do is I never beat myself up for not knowing something or being in doubt. It's I don't know it yet. What do I need to learn? And how do I overcome it? It doesn't make me feel insecure. It just very analytically says, okay, these are the three things you need to have in this job. You have two of them. You've got to learn the yeah. third one. But of course, I have doubts, right? But it doesn't like dominate my existence. And has that changed over the years? Do you, if you were to go back and see your younger self, have you always had that approach? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I always believed that I can do anything, and I never let people make me feel that I didn't have those skill sets required, which I probably did. <laughs> I didn't have the skill sets required do that other job or the next level job but I never maybe it's I don't know you're just secure in yourself um um and whatever people say you don't take it personally it's a really hard thing to do um 
And you get better at it with age, for sure. I think when you're younger, you take it more to heart, right? Maybe I would think about it for three days, you know, and then let it go. Now, I probably think about it for a minute or two <laughs> and then let it go, right? Um, so it, yes, I think it does make you um, probably a bit more confident with experience, experiences. Um, and my, you know, my advice, honestly, is like, why go there? Don't, you know, self-doubt and all that. Like, why? Right. Yeah, of course. We, nobody knows everything. Uh, not you, not the people you're dealing with, not people around you, not your bosses, right? Everybody has some insecurity of what they do or do not know or what they can or cannot do. So just don't let that hold you back. Um, and my approach always was, um, I remember in consulting, right? Um, you're at that pivotal point where you need that senior manager promotion is and senior manager partner promotions, right? Um, I, and that was, I think after six or seven years, I wanted to do an internal role where I would for once be home. And so if you're doing an internal role and you're not on client service, right, typically people would not promote you. And I remember getting into this dialogue with one of my partners saying, and he was saying, you know, not this year, let's do it next year. We'll put you in for promotion. And I was like, why? And he was fumbling and because I really wanted to understand like, well, I've six years I've been doing it, right? Yes. This one year, I actually want to enjoy New York for a change yeah. and be local. Uh, but I'm learning and contributing in other ways. You know, I'm building products into, with an internal team to take to market. But yes, I'm not actively on client service. And he was, he didn't, I think I had to really push him to give me an answer on why he would or putting me in for a promotion. And I think he got tired of me because I was like, tell me what it is. If you want me to work on something, I will. Right. But don't just like defer it because I'm in an internal role for the first time yeah. in my uh, career. And I think he ended up then putting me in for promotion and I got it that year. But I could have also been intimidated and said, OK, you know what? I am in an internal role. Probably not the best year to force it. Let's. But I truly wanted to understand yeah. why would he do that? Yeah, so you weren't just, it's not like you were just pushing back for the sake of pushing back. It was with the intent of learning and improving and development. Yeah, I mean, I really wanted to improve. And before that, I had, I was part of two big deals we had sold. So I, you know, yeah. I had sold uh, as part of the team. I had was managing teams of 50, 60, you know, great client feedback. But yes. That one year I said, you know what? I want to take a little bit of a break of six years yeah. on the road. But yeah. I, I didn't feel it was fair to delay my promotion no. because of that. No. And so I took up with him and, uh, you know, nicely a few times. I think he got annoyed and then he's like, <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> so on series one of This Girl Camp, I would always ask everybody about the movie Sliding Doors which is essentially about pivotal moments. You referred to it earlier. You were speaking about how you started in the industry and then a pivotal moment impacted a decision as to whether you were going to go one way or another. A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Charlotte Moraine and she very politely pointed out to me that Sliding Doors is basically a period drama now because it's from the 90s. 
So in order to continue evolving and keeping myself current and up to date, I'm asking instead, what's your favourite movie and what sort of impact did it have on you that has perhaps stayed with you throughout your career? One of my favourite movies is The Blind oh, Side. Um, so it's about this um, homeless kid that I think somewhere in, in the South or the Midwest, right, that is found on the streets by this um, this woman, um, Southern, right, typical Southern Midwestern woman and family, right? She's got a husband and kids. And she takes him home, spends some time with him, and then decides to adopt him. And he ends up joining the NFL and having, you know, change, changes his life. Wow. So that's just, I don't know, it's, I guess it's. I was just going to say, that oh. totally makes sense yeah. given everything you said about yourself. And that's why that stated. I love big kids uh, watch that movie. I think they're like, well, have you seen it? Or I I've mean, never like, seen it. See, this is a great line of questioning for me because it means I'm going to get loads of new movies that I can watch. So I'm definitely going to look for that one. I'm writing it down. That's it, though. I need to let you go, don't I? Any last thoughts before I do? You know, I will just say maybe if I, because I get asked this question a lot, right? Especially folks who are earlier in their career. In how to think about your career, right? How do you grow? What direction do you take it in? So a couple of things. One is, I don't know if you can, sometimes life happens while you're planning, right? So I don't know if you can plan every move, right? But maybe take the chances um, if they do come up, right? Take that risk. I've taken a few risks actually in my career and I think I've grown the most because of that. Otherwise, I'd probably be comfortable and safe, you know, me at the same level doing pretty much the same stuff. But I took risks. Sometimes the risks were given to me and I took them. Sometimes I went looking for them. Um, Second, uh, you brought up this um, self-doubt, right? I would not waste your en mental energy on, you know, do I know it? Do I not? Am I good enough? You know, nobody ever is. Like, just move on, right? So if you just figure out what skills you need, what you need to work on and work on it and don't hesitate and hold back in your career because you think you're not ready. Um, you know, no, nobody is. Right. It's some people that just hold themselves back because of that thought. Some people don't care about it and they just move on. So um, so there will always be moments of doubt, but that cannot paralyze you that, you know, just use it as a learning moment um, and go for that, those roles that you think you're not qualified for. Honestly, go for them. And if you're lucky enough, like me, to have great bosses, they will spot that potential and they will give you those chances or they will move you into those roles that you don't think you're ready for. And, you know, hopefully everybody's as lucky as that. But if not, go for it um, and talk about your career, right? Talk about network inside your company, outside. Tell people that you're looking for more responsibility or you want a stretch assignment or you want to try. Because unless you say it, most leaders at this point, they, I mean, they, you know, great leaders will suggest things beyond you. Good leaders are too busy with, but and they don't make the time or the, you know, they, they don't anticipate your development actively. So, so you true. have to talk about it and think about it. 
Um, and the last thing I would say is, you know, surround yourself with somewhere where you're having fun. If you're not, then, you know, it's okay to leave. Um, maybe look at other. And sometimes leaving is hard. I mean, I've stayed in companies eight years, 11 years, five years, right? So I haven't had short stints. Sometimes I probably think I should have left earlier and gotten a different experience. And um, so don't stay somewhere just because it's comfortable, I will say. Because there's always something happening in life. It, there's never a right time. So, you know, <laughs> just so go for true. it. That's really good advice. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Sherry Party. It's been so lovely to get to know you and fascinating to hear everything you've got to say. Thank you so much. It oh, was a lot you. of fun. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the episode and you're enjoying the podcast in general, please do subscribe via the website thisgirlcam.com or just hit follow on your chosen podcast platform. You can now join This Girl Cam as a member and if you do decide to join, you can look forward to some exciting access-only events coming up in the near future. Watch this space for more announcements there. Look out for my newsletter, which will let you enjoy the episode in either print or audio. And you can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, all under This Girl Cam. Thanks again, everyone. Bye for now.